Okay, we do always encourage people to have um, questions or discussions that will be of interest to themselves and to the members of the um, of the group. Then bring it up. We're here to have fun, and everyone has you know a platform to voice their opinions, especially if it's on topic. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, he's going to put on Shavuot, which is very, very clearly an agricultural festival. And he's a what? Festival? Agricultural festival. Agricultural, yes. Show up, come do this. Um, you know, it, the land run, maybe, the land, the majority opinion, that's when it also got the Torah. Not, not even the universal majority opinion. But at some point, that, that theme took over the agriculture in my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Why is that? When does it happen? Yeah, why, why is it this? I'll tell you the answer. The answer that is like this. Um, like, he's correct. That uh, uh, Shavuos does march. Shavuos is the holiday that we're starting to celebrate tomorrow night. We'll celebrate it from Tuesday night to uh, through Thursday. Right? So it's two days. It's Wednesday. Starting, uh, obviously, it starts the night before. So it's Wednesday and Thursday, starting on Tuesday. And it is the day primarily known for Matan Torah the day that we got the Torah, the day we got the Torah. The, the Sinai experience uh, was on the sixth day of, of, of the Hebrew month of Sivan, which is tomorrow night. Um, in the Torah, it's brought down in three places, correct? Three places it talks, it talks, it talks about uh, Shavuos. And it mentions that it's also a day where we bring the, the, the Omer, right? The Omer offering. And I believe it kicks, it start, it kick starts the, uh, Bikurim, the Bikurim, uh, which are both, uh, both, uh, which is, which is a, uh, an agricultural um, law that's applicable only in Israel. So, um, so there is a duality here. There is two different themes in, in Shavuos. Uh, but I believe the reason why we highlight the fact that we've got the Torah theme uh, is because, is because well, when I'm living, we're not, we don't live in an agricultural society anymore. We don't live in Israel anymore. I uh, think about the, the the Talmud, right? The Talmud uh, is the Mishnah, sixty-three books. What fifteen of them are agricultural books, and how many of them do we study? In, in, in how many of them were elaborated in the Gemara? None. Why not? Because they weren't applicable. If you're living, if you're living in. Yushami, uh, uh, no. Yushami, yes. Yushami, but Yushami, remember, Yushami was written in Israel. Um, so yes, th- there is a tendency that when things are less applicable, less pertinent, less um, some, less relevant to your day to day life, they'll be um, um, relegated to to the, you know to academia, if you will. Um, but I'll, what I'll tell you is that in the prayers, if you look at the prayers, what do we say? Shavuos, right, is the day of Yom Matan Torah, the day we got the Torah. Yeah. So so yes, it, it, it is. It, even though the Torah may reference the agricultural aspect, number one, uh, that's only part of it, and we could say that the primary aspect, the primary idea, the primary theme of the holiday is the day we got the Torah, uh, and two, two, it's just not, it's, it's not all that relevant to us, so therefore, you know, I know that if I start speaking, if I start waxing poetic about agriculture, I'll probably lose everyone besides for desert. You know, and it's also Okay, so um, yeah, everyone's welcome to take. There's uh, there's uh, Reese's. 
What exactly? Very good. Very good. So the Jews were at Sinai for how long? Huh? Three days? This is... Come on, guys. This is, this is basic Bible. No. Really? What's the question? Preparation or just how long were they hanging out? How long were they hanging We have three days, 40 days. We have a quizzical look on Jason's face. They're there a lot longer. Well, no, they're there a lot longer before they pushed out. Two months. How long were they at Sinai? It was like a year or something, wasn't it? It's like a year. Okay, maybe a year, 40 days, three days. <laughs> How long was the Sinai experience? Was <laughs> okay, so the Torah says that the Jews guys... At least three days. At least three days, okay. Because they had three days of preparation. The Jews uh, encamped by, by Mount Sinai on the first day of the Hebrew month of Sivan. Sivan is the month that comes after Iyar, which comes after Nisan. We're all familiar with Nisan because Nisan has Pesach. Uh, so Pesach is the 15th day of Nisan. Uh, and afterwards comes Iyar, and then afterwards comes Sivan, which we're in right now. So the Torah says that the Jews encamped at Mount Sinai on the first day, on the first day of, of, of the uh, of the third month, which is Nisan Iyar Sivan, which is Sivan. So they were there from the first day of Sivan, and they left, as it says in, I believe it's in Numbers 10, 11 or something like that, 10, 20, uh, that they left on the 20th day of Iyar, of the following year. So they were there for exactly a year minus 10 days. Victory goes <laughs> to Jason. Now, what were the Jews over? Huh? He was over. He was over. He said it. He said it. He was over. Price is right, Price. Closest to the pin. Now, um, what they were doing there is also not so clear. What it's not so clear what they were doing. Um, we know that three days before, three days before they got the, the, the Torah, it says this is in, in in the book of Exodus, halfway through the book, and I think it's in chapter twenty. It says that three days before, so that they, they encamped at Mount Sinai the first day of of, of of Sivan, and then three days later, on the third day of Sivan, God told them, okay. In three days, you know, you get the Torah uh, on this mountain. So prepare yourselves. And uh, we know that there is a Jewish tradition to stay up and study Torah the entire night of Shavuos. Is everyone familiar with that tradition? Yeah, so tomorrow night, there's going to be thousands, probably tens of thousands of people across the globe who are going to be staying up the entire night, not going to sleep, and studying Torah the whole night. And... The reason why there is this uh, custom is because the Midrash says that uh, the Jews, when they got the Torah, which is on the morning of the sixth day of Sivan, I'm sorry if I'm just getting you mixed up with these uh, calendar names, so it's names for months, but this is a month called Sivan, the Hebrew month of Sivan, the sixth day in the morning, they received the Torah. And what were the Jews doing in the early, early morning on the sixth day of Sivan? They were schluffing, which means they were sleeping. And let me ask you a question. And, and, and in, in order to atone, so to speak, for the Jews' lack of interest in the Torah, that they were sleeping, uh, we, spend, we spend the night like sort of rectifying that by staying up the whole night. Right? Because like tomorrow night is the sixth, is the sixth day of Sivan, which is it's a, the anniversary of the Torah, of when we got the Torah. And because that night the Jews were sleeping and had to be woken up early in the morning, 
Therefore, in order to atone for that, we do the opposite and we stay up the whole night. That's the source of this custom. But what's your question? If I told you that tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., or better yet, in three days in five, at, at 5 a.m., uh, I'm going to give you a wondrous gift. I'm going to give you, I don't know, a million dollars, if that's not enough, $10 million, right? Or I'm going to give you, you'll get to meet J.J. Watt, right? Over, okay. Oh, you did? Okay. Okay, but for the rest of us. J.J. Watt is the, he's a big athlete in town. Anyone who knows J.J. Watt is? Yeah, yeah. He's the, he's, he's the guy who goes to bed in the shirt, right? <laughs> he's the biggest athlete in town. So if I told you that tomorrow morning at 5 in the morning, J.J. Watt is coming to town and he's schmoozing and he's signing autographs, everyone would wake up. And even people who don't normally wake up at 5 in the morning, like Trevor, are people like me would probably also wake up. Hey, you know, let's go say hi. You get pictures, right? Um, we all know that as kids, when we had the class trip, the morning of the class trip, everyone woke up like at four in the morning and weren't able to go back to sleep. Anyone had that experience? So exciting. It's, you're excited. You have that anticipation. It's, and it's three in the morning that you're you ready up. You don't want to miss it. So I you know. know. And then you wake up and you can't fall back to sleep. You get dressed and like you're waiting with, the, with, you know, so with your rollerblades in your bag, right? Ready to go. How is it possible that the Jews are going to experience the most momentous event in the history of mankind. They're going to experience prophecy. They're going to, they're, they're going to hear the Ten Commandments, these famous Ten Commandments that we're still talking about, you know, 3,300 years later. And the Jews would really sleep in? Huh? Go to sleep early. This is the most important thing. Or wake thing. up early. It's a good question, no? So what exactly were they told? Huh? What exactly Maybe they were they told? Uh, they didn't take it seriously. They didn't know how amazing yeah. No, but uh, but yes. So so you're saying maybe maybe they weren't maybe they were just lackadaisical about the whole thing. But uh, I'll counter that by saying that uh, God instructs Moshe, Moshe that make sure the Jews don't touch the mountain because if they would touch, they touch the mountain they're going to die, right? So it seems like the Jews had a, a they were aspiring to to experience this event and they were going to go close and touch the mountain that they built a fence around the mountain the Jews wouldn't touch it. So it was like an electrocuted mountain. That uh, that's were they to touch it, they would have uh, they would have died. That's what it says. They had to be restrained, so to speak. So the Jews were on a on a spiritual um, high. So it's it's very it's very hard to say that oh, they just weren't interested. They were just schlepping along for the free food. What do you say, Jason? Well, I'm wondering how active they were expected things. You look at the uh, in place. You know, here they're told something, many times they're told something's going to happen, like, push, you know, you guys stay inside for this one, or for other times, it's not there. And basically their job is basically do nothing. Just be around, be present, even if you look at, you know, the uh, tenth plague, three days preparation, have a lamb, you cook, eat it, stay in the room, don't go out. Basically, they're, they're, in, they're, in by, they're in bystander mode. So they were just... They, well, when they were doing other stuff, they were, it, it was essential, I mean, for almost all the plagues, they did not, their job was to do nothing. And then even when I was to do something, it was, you know, to do a really big barbecue. And then you kind of went to sleep, and a lot of people were dead the next day. Oh, interesting. So I wanted to share with y'all what my friend, uh, David A. Clayman, um, he told me once to answer this question. And I like it so much, I'm repeating it to y'all. So he he said that the uh, uh, very complicated laws governing um, uh, what happens if you make a vow. So we know that... um, if you say, if you take a vow 
to refrain from eating something or to obligate yourself to eat something or to do something. Right? If you say, I am making a, a neder, which is a vow, to eat oranges every single day for the rest of my life, you have to do it. You're obligated. You created an obligation or a prohibition by saying a vow that you'll do something or you'll refrain from doing something. And this is very, very complicated and strict laws. There's many books written about it, especially we know that there's a book in Talmud called Nidarim, which means vows. There's a book in Talmud called Shavuot, which does not mean this upcoming holiday, rather it means swearing, which is a separate kind of vow. When you swear to do something, it's also a way of obligating yourself to do something. And lastly, there is a, a, a book of Talmud called Nazir, which is a specific kind of vow where someone says he's not going to drink wine or encounter dead people for 30 days. It's separate, very complicated laws. And uh, the Talmud says that uh, if someone says, I'm not going to sleep for three days, if someone says, I'm not going to sleep for three days, he is... Uh, it is, it is as if he already uh, negated his vow. It's as if he already went against the vow. It means he gets punished right away as if he already slept. And like it explains is that physiologically, we cannot go three days without sleeping. It's not possible to go for three days without sleeping. And therefore, when someone says they're not sleeping for, uh, for, for three days, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that uh, that that they're going that they're going to go against their vow, and therefore they get get punished right away. So the Jews, this is more of what my friend David David Kleeman says. The Jews, three days before the Sinai experience, were told, "You're about to encounter prophecy. You're about to experience the most amazing event, not only in your lives and in anyone that you know, in the history of mankind." So they, the, not to fall asleep. they were so excited. And they couldn't sleep for three days. They just they were just up with anticipation. But after three days, we know this, this, that physiologically it's not possible to sleep for more than three days. So they counted out, and they were sleeping at the time of, of, of the Sinai experience. It's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it says they were told three days before. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's uh, but what I want to do tonight is um, I want to discuss. So wait a second, I have a question. Yes, Matthew. So we atoned for them by staying up all night and yeah. Torah, but they, it was impossible well, to stay awake. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so that's the... Because they didn't choose to be sleeping. They can't be sleeping. Just like I had so to so you're, you're asking that according to this explanation that my friend offered, what is the justification? Why do they need atonement? Because it seemed like they didn't do anything wrong. In fact, they were so... It's not like they were not interested. They, they, were, they were so interested <laughs> that they couldn't fall asleep. It's a good question. I'll, I'll help us send it to him. <laughs> well, uh, maybe. Maybe they maybe they should have had some some sort of uh, responsibility. Maybe they should have been responsible. Said, no, I'm going to sleep anyhow. And Because I don't want to be up for the actual event. I, I don't know. It's a good question. I like they the question. They were punished for it. It wasn't it's like... Not, it's not punishment. Right? It wasn't like they considered doing anything wrong. But in a small way, it needs to be... Rectified up. Good question. Question's a good question. I like it. So what I want to discuss... Yeah, it's good. Uh, what I want to discuss today is... I think that uh, the holiday really has, or at least the fact that we got the Torah, has a, a two elements to it. So so it, it seems like it's just like an anniversary. Hey, we got the Torah. We're really happy we have the Torah. And let's celebrate the day that we got it. Sort of like an anniversary. That's the most simple understanding of what happened. Um... It was a momentous event that was so important um, to our forefathers 
Um, therefore, we're going to say, oh, let's celebrate it. Let's make it a day of, of a memorial day for it. And let's celebrate it by, uh, you know, eating dairy foods and staying up the whole night. That's the simplest understanding. What I want to say is, what I want to maybe um, explore is the the idea of of this event at Sinai to be much more than just getting information or getting the Torah and having this revelation. I almost said revelation. I almost got mistaken. Invented one of my new words. Revelation. Yeah. It's much more than just much more than just what they got, but more the event itself. <coughs> um, I think um, if if we're going to do our due, due, due diligence as Jews and as humans, we're required to ask a few questions. If you're going to do your due diligence, what's incumbent upon you as a human, as a Jew, you're going to have to ask questions. And the king of all questions that you have to ask yourself is how do we know we're right? How do we know we're right? What I mean by that is that um, there's a mutual exclusivity in religion, right? We say one thing, the Christians say another thing, the Muslims say a third thing, and it's not possible for them all to be right. It's not possible. It's not possible for the Christians to be right, and it's not possible for the Muslims to be right at the same time. Because though you know they, they, they are mutually exclusive, it's not possible for them both to be right. So what we're doing is we have we have a way of, of looking at at the you know, our theology, and our philosophy, and our outlook is also um, maybe it, it, it you know we don't believe in JC, we don't believe in Jesus, right? But they do believe in him. So how do we know we're right? Maybe they're right. So th- this I, I, I yeah. I'm saying, but this question is a very important question. Are we just are we just doing what our parents um, inculcated into us? Are we just living, you know, what our community, our society, our school, our friends are doing? It's a very important question. And it's a legitimate question. Because you know what? If the Muslims are right, we're in big trouble as Jews. We're in big trouble. And even, even if we're not living, living under, under, under uh, Muslim rule. Um, and if the Christians are also... Eternal, if you don't believe in Jesus, eternal damnation. That's what they say. Right? So if we're right, then great. But do we want to just take the chance? And I think this question is a universal question. Um, it's, it's unsettling because no one likes to examine. No one likes to examine. People are very fond of their identity. People have an identity. And you don't want to challenge your identity. You don't, you don't want to say, oh gosh. I might be a Republican or a Democrat. <laughs> oh my gosh! You don't want to. No, but we're Jews. <laughs> like it's 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 really frustrating. Like for someone who, um, like it's political, right? People have a political, you know, identity, and they say, you know, what? I kind of agree with with uh, with uh, either I don't know, either either side, and it's it's kind of. It's it's like no 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 it's not supposed to be like that. I'm supposed to believe one way, so that's that's why people avoid doing this. But I think that that Shavuos is a good time, or, or the 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 experience at Sinai is really what separates us from those religions. And if you feel uncomfortable examining examining your Judaism through this lens, it's all right, because in the end you'll prevail. 
In the end, we're the ones that write, that are, that are, that are. So now, like this, let's imagine that it's, uh, I don't know, six, the year 610 or 620 of the Common Era. And uh, as we know, this was a time when the, the Muslims were just getting started. And they uh, tried very hard to get as many Jews on the bandwagon, right? We know that the um, uh, Muhammad was certainly influenced by, by Jews, and he certainly tried to court the Jews um, uh, during, you know, during the beginning stages of, 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 Islam, of Islam. So if, if Muhammad, if we're looking at it, Muhammad comes up to us and says, Jews, except, except the... Um, uh, Allah is God and Muhammad Rasul Allah, which, as Eric knows, means Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> you know, Eric? Yeah. So, what would we ask him? What would be our first question? How would we vet him? How would, how would we do our due diligence? Blessed well, Muhammad came up to us and said, Believe in me, I'm the final prophet of God. Prove it. That's what we'd say prove it. How do I know that you are telling the truth? How do I know that you're not a charlatan? How do I know that you didn't have prophecy? Prove it to me. And similarly, if we were living in the uh, second century of the Common Era, and we met a fellow by the name of Paul of Tarsus, and Paul says, hey, Jews, believe in JC. Why? Because he's a son of God, right? Uh, How do we know that? What what, What would he say? What do you mean? I had the, I, 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 I met him on my way to Damascus, right? What would we say? Maybe you're lying. <clears throat> Prove it. How do we know you're telling the truth? <laughs> if you encountered Joseph Smith in the 1830s, and Joseph Smith says, Hey, uh, Wobi, um, listen, I, um, I found these tablets made out of gold in the mountains in New York, um, and they're written in Reformed Egyptian, and... Uh, the angel showed them to me, and the angel taught it to me, and this is the translation, but no, you can't see the tablets, and no, uh, Reform Egyptian is actually not a language, but believe in me, I'm a prophet, and uh, go have 17 wives. So, <laughs> what would I say to <laughs> My question would be... <laughs> 50, 56 in the uh, case of Brigham Young. Yeah, it's different Wikipedia, bring him young at the university. And so what would we ask him? How do we know that you're telling the truth? It's your word, and we have to just believe you on your word. He said, she said. How do we know the guy is not a liar? Well, maybe he'll show the tablets. No, 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 no. The angel told me he can't show anyone the tablets. So it's, it, it's, it's, and we have millions of people that are following, that are following um, this religion, and it's all based on one guy's evidence. And you know what? If you take a look at religion in general, the anatomy of how a religion gets formed is always the same. It's always the same. There's many, 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 many religions out there, and all of them get started off at the same, you know, with the same basic outline. What's Judaism too? Judaism too. We'll get the Judaism in a second. It always starts out with a revelation. Revelation, God spoke to me, right? No, not to me, I'm yes. saying, but then I'm, I'm asking what, right? 
right? It could be, it could be, um, it could be Paul uh, on the way on the way to Damascus. Jesus came to me. It could be Muhammad, right? God spoke to me, right? It could be, um, uh, it could be uh, what's his name, Joseph Smith, also. Oh, I, I met the angel. I met. I had a revelation. It was some sort of supernatural experience. And then A is revelation. Step 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 number two is there is the transmission of information. Okay, now that God God. God revealed himself to me, and he told me, do X, 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 right? Which is the 17 wives, right? It's, it's, there's the instructions. And then, those instructions, and then, then there's the followers. Okay, this is the way to live, and let's start living by those instructions. So if you're, if you're a part of the Islamic faith, right? So what do you have? You have, what, the five pillars. Everyone knows the five pillars, right? Two and a half percent, or two percent of your money has to go to charity. You have to uh, go visit Mecca once a year. You have to... Uh, Pray five times a day, right? Pray five, pray five times a day. I'm sure, I'm sure y'all have seen a Muslim's praying, right? They pray five times. We say only three times, and they're a little bit more machmer, right? A little more stringent. <laughs> five times. By the way, where do they get that from? Where do they get the five times a day from? From the Jews on Yom Kippur. The Jews on Yom Kippur. The Jews pray five times on Yom Kippur. And... Um, the early Muslims used to actually play, pray towards Jerusalem, but now they pray towards uh, towards towards Mecca, which is the holiest site in in uh, holiest site in uh, in their religion. Followed by Medina, and then according to Sunnis, it's it's the temple, it's Jerusalem, and according to the Shiites, it's uh, what a Karbala, Karbala, right? The place where they had that massive what's it called? What's it called? Karbala? Did I pronounce it correctly? Thanks. It's good to have someone who's... Right? Um, what were we saying? Right. So that, that's how every religion gets, gets founded with the same basic three steps. Revelation, and then there's the instructions, and then the people follow and live by those rules. So if you're Christian, then you have uh, you know, the rules of slapping one on one cheek, and then say, oh, give me the other cheek and slap away, which most Christians don't actually, don't actually abide by. Um, <laughs> uh, but they're pretty much uh, believe in believe in JC and love your neighbor as yourself. And if someone slaps you on one cheek, you say, or you, you offer them the other cheek to slap to slap you too, right? And we have Judaism. Judaism also we have revelation. We have the instruction. We have the commandments, the mitzvot, the, mitzvot, the Torah, right? How many commandments are in the Torah? Six hundred. Six hundred thirteen. How many of them do you actually keep in modern day America? Three hundred. How many of them are applicable to us today? 216. Is that a guess? Yes. Okay. Is that only here a coin? Darn. <laughs> Is that only here uh, from the uh, from a Levy family? Levy. Oh, there we go. We have a Levy. Uh, is anyone here a... Your children! <laughs> I wasn't going to help me. We have, I see male... Uh, uh, Jews of the male and the female <laughs> persuasion. It's not possible for someone to actually, even if you lived in Israel, right, and you were a Cohen, you were a Cohen and a Levi, and a male and a female, it's still not possible for you to do all the mitzvot because you'd have to be a king also. Right? There's there's three mitzvot given only to King Chayim. Something wrong in the kitchen. It's your son. What's he doing? Distracting. So, the majority of the mitzvot 
the vast majority are not applicable to us today. So much so that I think uh, like probably 80%, I think like uh, out of 613, I think only like 120 are applicable to us today. Uh, some of them are agricultural laws, and the majority of them are, are, are like um, uh, the negative commandments. But the negative commandments, but uh, you know, um, the vast majority of of, uh, of the mitzvot are actually not applicable to us today. But we know every religion starts off the same way: revelation, instruction, and then people start following it. Okay, so if you were to go to Abraham. Better yet, you come to me and says, hey, the Torah says Abraham is a prophet. I, I want him to The Torah says Abraham is a prophet. Banished. <laughs> but banished with love. <laughs> but I, don't want, I don't want it hot here. Mm-mm. No, that's good. Put the air conditioner on. So if you came to me and said, hey, Wolby, Abraham was a prophet. Correct? So it says in the Torah. Abraham's a prophet, but how do we know that Abraham's a prophet? It's just his word versus our word. Is that a valid question? It's one man's word. How do we know that Abraham was a prophet? He said, she said. Better yet, how do we know that Jeremiah was a prophet? Right? Or that uh, that um, that Ezekiel or Isaiah, these are all prophets, but once again, or even Moses. How do we know that when Moses came and told us the the, the, the uh, told us the mitzvah, the commandments, he also wasn't a charlatan. He also wasn't an imposter. He also wasn't faking it. All those people saw everything on Mount Sinai. Ooh, is that true? Mm. We're the only religion that directly speaks that God came to us. Ooh. The, uh, all the other religions had a certain medium, except for Judaism has a direct... No, they point out here. The Christians don't deny the veracity of the Torah. The Muslims don't deny the veracity of the Torah. If you take a look at the 17th surah of, of the Quran, you know, the, the uh, Quran has 100, 100, <laughs> 115... Um, the next calendar. In the 17th chapter of the Quran, we meet a fellow by the name of Musa. Who's Musa? Who's Musa? What's Musa in Arabic? That's Moses. They validate our. Our prophets. We meet Ibrahim. Who's Ibrahim? Abraham. He's the same guy. No one there claims that our that our religion is baseless. They all accept. They all accept our religion to be true. We say they're full of baloney. They say that we're right. But it goes, it goes a lot deeper here. And like and like uh, and like Brian said, if if you if you watch the uh, 1956 film by Cecil B. DeMille. All the Ten Commandments. And we can watch like three hours uh, depicting the story of, of the Exodus. I've seen it 20 times. You've seen it 20 times? Yeah, at least. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, as you know, if you know that, what? I know. It's um, what? There's one massive problem with, with, that, with that movie, and that is that that movie depicts Judaism as being no more 
or no different than any of the other than any other religions. <laughs> we should have your dad here. Your dad can do it so like oh this much. Yeah, I don't know how he does it, but he got like videotape and everything, and oh, you never even know. At the Seder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, real nonchalant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So where was I? Sorry. Huh? Yes. Yeah, so, so that that depicts uh, Moses going up to the mountain, getting the tablets, and coming back and finding the Jews worshiping the golden calf, and then he throws the uh, he throws the tablets onto the calf, which is totally unsubstantiated because he throws it actually onto the foot of the mountain. Um, the calf blows up, and then he says, "It's time to drink the bitter waters." <laughs> Trying to put on his best uh, bitter waters. And it totally misses the boat. And I think that it's, it's, it's important to actually look at the text of what it actually says, of how the Torah actually describes what happened there and what the Jews experienced and what they didn't experience. Because this event is crucial not only for, um, for, the, for those times and for what they saw, but also for us today to understand the... Uh, um, the basis on which we're, we're believing Moshe. If it was just Moshe, Mo- Moses coming up to us and saying, okay, like, listen guys, um, I spoke to God, I'm a prophet, okay, and God told me to do X, Y, and Z. Right? What would we say to Moses? Prove it. Prove it. How do we know you're, how, just the same thing we'll say to everyone else. How do we know that you're not lying? And you know what? If it was just Abraham and Abraham said, I am a prophet. <laughs> if Abraham came down and said, I'm a prophet, we'd say the same thing, prove it. But what the Torah says is that the entire assembly, this is 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60, and we could safely assume there are 600,000 women between the age of 20 and 60, and probably a healthy number of children between the age of 0 and 20, and maybe some seniors who were older than 60, we could assume there were like a million and a half people there at least. According to some estimates, maybe you could extrapolate that number to be 3 million. But most certainly, what we're claiming is, what what we claim, what we claim is that not only did Moses experience prophecy, but the entire Jewish nation heard and saw with their own eyes, experienced prophecy, and experienced God telling Moshe, Moshe, I said Moshe, Moshe, alei elahar, come up to the mountain. And they saw Moshe up to the mountain, and they saw that Moshe was a verified prophet. So, what we know for sure with absolute certainty is that Moshe was a verified prophet. Why? Because we experience prophecy enough to know that he was a prophet. We had national prophecy. Shavuos was not just about getting the Torah. Shavuos was having this experience. And this experience is what we say today in 2013 in Houston. Someone says, how do you know you're right? We'd say, no, 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 we're not just believing one guy's word. 
we're believing a million and a half people who experienced this, who saw this with their own eyes. And, and the Torah stresses this again and again. Take a look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It says it clearly again and again. You saw with your own eyes. What we claim, our, we have a claim like everyone else. None of us here was at Sinai. Maybe we were, our souls were, but none of us can remember the Sinai experience. So are we any different than someone else who didn't meet Jesus on the way to Damascus or someone else who didn't have this, this wonderful experience with golden tablets on the way on, on a mountain? Are we just believing based upon, based upon something that we were told? The idea is, is that such an event, such an event is impossible to falsify. The mere claim, the mere claim that this happened is enough to prove that it's true. Yes, Eric, what you got? Okay, first of all, yes. They all told us to stop after about three minutes, right? After two, yes. After two, after two, sorry. So one, you know, you don't know what else was said, stuff like that, what else in the revelation, except what Moses got from Mount Sinai, right? And then anyone can say, anyone can come write a book that you saw with your own eyes, but it might not have happened at all. I could tell you that you saw something with your own eyes. Okay, so, so maybe they were brainwashed. Or they wanted to do that, or later down the line, after a generation of forty years, got repeated out and say, "Okay, your parents saw with their own eyes what happened." Okay, so uh, you guys hear what, what Eric's what Eric's asking? Yes. He's asking very two very good questions. Now, this, this, guys, this is this is monumentous. Moments, monumentous. Because what we're saying is, is that what we claim to be true is totally different than what the other 15,000 religions out there claim to be true. Yes, the anatomy of how our religion came to, 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 to exist is very similar to the way theirs did. But... but one, one thing that you're missing yes. is that there, there's no other nation that's seen this there is one weird one there's but one they found one. the one person right. I think they called him on the phone and he couldn't tell them anything the researcher found the one person it's true it's true they say like this the Hindus they say yes it's the Hindus I think it is uh, they claim that their religion got started because it was a massive war and there were, I think there were 3 billion people there. I think that's not 3 million. I think it's 3 billion. No? Am I wrong there? Huh? I thought it was million. 3 million. And there was some crazy war, and everyone died besides for one guy. And they all had this crazy experience. They all had prophecy. They all died. One guy survived, and he convinced everyone else that was true. What? It's not before they can tell their kids or their cousins. The point being is that we're still believing only one person. But these Jews, these Jews who experienced this event at Sinai, they survived, and their children um, are, and their children and grandchildren are our ancestors. It means if you're Jewish today, that means that one of your grandparents or great grandparents was one of those same people who experienced this. Now remember, the Jews um, tenaciously observed the Torah. 
The Jews, the Jews, despite being a very stubborn people, they tenaciously observed Torah for thousands of years. We know we have we have documented we have historical accounts of the Jews being obsessed with studying the Torah and observing the Torah. We have that from 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 you know millennia ago. So the Jews were really obsessed with these. Yes, you have, you have, you have. But remember, but remember, remember. Even the, even the even the people who went off off the derech, as you call them, right? Even during the times of the of the temple, right? As Josephus, right? There was the Essenes and the Sadducees and the uh, uh, all these, you know, the Dead Sea sect, all these groups that splintered off. None of them, none of them denied the Sinai experience. None of them said we're not Jews. We don't believe that the whole. We have, none of them. They just denied. They denied the oral Torah. Right? None of them said... So think about it. You have millions of Jews over thousands of years observing a Torah that tells you some pretty crazy things and gives you some pretty crazy restrictions. Would they really observe it, adhere to it with, with such tenacity if they knew it was bogus? If they were in some sort of daze and three million people just saw something that they didn't see? Think about it. To get two Jews today to agree on anything, how hard is that? <laughs> They get three million Jews to believe that they saw something that they didn't see, so much, and, and to believe it was to such a degree that they're willing to to live their lives by these principles and not, uh, for example, and not and, and not uh, uh, work work their work the field every seventh year. Can you imagine taking every seven year off, seven, every seventh year off, not working at all? Like it says in the Torah, oh, and God will provide. Can you imagine if if, if you had any doubts about this religion's truthfulness? If you had any doubts about this religious truthfulness, um, would you really say, I'm not working every seven, seven years, I'm just taking, taking time off and just hope, hope to God that everything works out? Think about it. Let's do it. Really? We're past the seven years. But, but remember, <laughs> what do they claim? I believe, I believe, okay, that um, I believe... I believe that it's um, that there was a fellow by the name of Paul. Okay, I believe one hundred percent, and he had this, ex- or he claimed to have this experience, and it's totally true. I think it's true, right? Remember, what are they selling? They're saying, "Oh, Paul on the way to Damascus had this experience, and he started this religion." Right before that, uh, Christianity was not was just a subsect of Judaism, Judeo Christians. You know, these Jews who observed the entire Torah. And just believe that 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 Jesus was some sort of special guy, right? Paul comes along and starts a new religion. So Paul is the founder of the religion. So I believe that it's one hundred percent true that Paul claimed to have had this experience on the way to Damascus. The question is, well, maybe he's lying. And if you ask any Christian today, they'll say, well, yes, we don't know. Maybe he was lying. We don't know. It's not possible. We, you know, um, and. And one crazy person and one half million people. That's the point. So yes, in order for our religion to not be true, in order for our religion to be true, there have to be at least a million and a half people who either flat out lie to their children and perpetuate and live by this doctrine, right? Knowing all along that it's false. You got a million and a half people to collaborate, and these are Jews, by the way. To collaborate and perpetuate a total falsehood that they knew was false, 
Or maybe they were on mushroom, maybe they were on shrooms, or maybe they, they were on acid, right? Okay, you know what? If that's true, so you know what? Let someone else yeah, come up with that. Huh? But when they when they get out of their out of their stupor, they probably they sleep for three days. Maybe they were But also, remember, it's important. Even though, even though, even though the Jews had prophecy only at Sinai. Remember, this is the only time that they, the, the, the only time, we, and interesting, the Torah even says, we don't have to get the actual verse, the Torah actually says, uh, this is Deuteronomy 4, 20, 20, 32, if you want to check it out. You might inquire about times long past, from the day that God created man and earth, exploring one end of heaven to the other, has there ever been anything like this? Great thing. Or has anything like it be heard, been heard? It's what the verse is saying, that this thing never happened, and will, will never happen. Had a people ever heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fires, as you have heard and survived? No. Means what the Torah is saying here is that not only is the only time that this has actually happened, happened to the Jews, but no one else will even claim no one else will even claim that they had national prophecy. You know why? Because it's a claim that unless it's true, it's impossible to get it to, to, to get any legs to it. It's not possible. And what Eric proposed, Eric proposed a nice, a nice, a nice workaround by saying, you know what? Maybe the Jews um, were convinced years later by some fellow who said, "Oh, your grandparents saw this and they forgot about it." And only I remembered. Right? I mean, someone, years later, 100 years later, this guy Moshe comes around, or this guy Ezra comes around, or someone else comes around and says, oh, years and years and years ago, your, your parents stood by Mount Sinai and had this wonderful experience. What would you tell Ezra, or Moses, or Jeremiah? Prove If I told all of you sitting here, right here, right now, let's say I told you that 50 years ago, your parents, okay, were, uh, were with me, right? Or I know that your parents saw, what do you say? What do you got? No, I say like this. How about if I claim that I'm God? Let's say, okay. Let's say, right? And, and, I, and I say, here's a book, I'm going to give you all a book here. And in this book, it says, how I took you out of Belmont and brought you to uh, to to Baytown, right? And we all know that none of us have ever met in Belmont, right? So the likelihood of you keeping this document and following its ordinances, its rules, because it's all based on this experience that we had, right? Probably whatever else is written in the book, it's probably John too. Here we have a national revelation where the entire people experienced a, an, an event, and every single detail of the event was witnessed by every single one of the people. Right? So it's, it's a whole different... You could throw out the document if it wasn't true, but we hear the book writes the proof. Okay? It writes the testimony of every single individual. So if there was any question about its authenticity, it would be thrown out immediately. Right? If there was a nice big trash bin at the door, 
probably would take that, that Bible that I gave out, right, and throw it out because there's never, never such a thing has happened. What do you say, Matthew? Um, before Moses was Abraham and Isaac, there were prophets too. And that, this didn't happen with them. So, were they prophets or not? Very good question. I am going to go on a limb and say that Muhammad never spoke to God and was and just convinced everyone. And, uh, and, and nothing that he describes, none of his prophecies are actually true. I'm going to take that stance. And I'm similarly going to take a stance that, that Paul, on the way to Tarsus, didn't actually meet Jesus. And Jesus ain't coming back. Right? That's my, also my position. And the third position I'm going to take is that... Um, that Joseph Smith never found any tablets. You know what? Because had he found them, he would have uh, brought it to the uh, gold and silver jeweler buyers and sold it. <laughs> I don't believe it ever happened. It's his word, and, and my, my, I don't believe him. That's what I. That's what I say. But how come I believe that Abraham? That Abraham is a prophet. Now remember, who is making the claim that Abraham is a prophet? How do we know that Abraham was a prophet? How do you know that there's a claim that Abraham is a prophet? Did Abraham say it? Did Abraham claim that he was a prophet? No, he didn't. We, we know that Abraham was a prophet because the Torah that we got from Moshe says that Abraham was a prophet. So if Abraham came to us and said, I'm a prophet, what would I say? Prove it. And until you prove it, you're no different. But, but, because Moshe told us that Abraham was a prophet, right? then Moshe is a verified prophet. We know for sure that Moshe is a true prophet. Because we saw with our... It was, it's a verified prophet. Because we So therefore, when Moshe says that Abraham is a prophet, it, it's very different than one any one person saying that Abraham is a prophet. Well, Moshe, we just thought he was a crazy guy. Thought he was a oh, he wasn't. He was nobody knew. Maybe nobody knew about it. Now, that, that's why um, Moses <laughs> is called the father of all prophets. Why is Moses called the father of all... Avi Hanavim, the father Exactly, because without him, we wouldn't believe him that anyone else is a prophet. Because he's the one who's able to verify, who gives that uh, that Twitter load, the Twitter symbol, the verified accounts. He gives the, He's the one who has the verified accounts. So, why don't we have another prophet? Huh? Why don't we have another prophet now? Well, Judaism right now is a non-profit organization. <laughs> um, it's been like that for 2,400 years, right? Um, the reason why we don't have prophecy, and this is an important point, it's a little bit divergent, but I like it because we're talking about prophecy. This is an important thing, okay? If I were to go into into Jewish in the Jewish town square, the Jewish court of law, and say, "Listen up, ladies and gentlemen, I have a prophecy to tell you," and X, Y, and Z, right? What would they do? They grab me and kill me before they even hear what I have to say. And that sounds strange to us because. We view prophecy the same way we view the Powerball. It's just like a luck of the draw. You can have a, anyone have a prophecy in the middle of the night, right? It, it can happen to anyone, huh? Hey, you never know. They say in the uh, billboards for the Mega Millions in New York, you never know. You can have prophecy. You get wake up in the middle of the night and have prophecy. Yeah, false prophet gets killed. Really? Yes. So it's not murder. It's not murder. No, it's a capital crime. Uh, so if I were to walk into and, and claim that I was a prophet, they would immediately kill me. Why? Because in Judaism, we don't believe the prophecy is um, like the Powerball. Anyone could win it. Prophecy is the next stage of someone's growth. So you, 
you become a scholar, you become a, a tremendous person, you become someone more pious than Mother Teresa, and you go higher and higher and higher, and that the top level is prophecy. So only someone who's at the top level, who's renowned for their kindness, renowned for their diligence, patience, and scholarship, right? Only someone like that who claims that they're a prophet can have uh, the, uh, the, the floor to say what they want to say. No offense, but somebody more learned than you can do that, man, right? I'm sorry? Somebody more learned than you that's... So, you want to know if it's possible to have prophecy? So, yes, what, what we say is that um, the idea of a Messiah is someone who's going to be a prophet. Someone who's going to be at such a level, such a degree of, of piety and excellence in all characteristics, yes, that person will have prophecy. On a general scale, we haven't had anyone in 2,400 years that was, a, that was considered a prophet. But it's a very important point. Um, yeah, so if someone were to just claim to their prophet, we, we throw them out. It's not, uh, we don't kill them anymore because we don't have sovereignty. Uh, but uh, under certain circumstances, a false prophet, you know, uh, was treated quite harshly. What you got, Jason? Uh, one, one thing I think about with this, with this is that um, people say, you know, well, that's something that somebody said a long, long time ago, man. tremendous uh, leader, Jewish leader like and rabbi who lived in Israel. Uh, and one of his students said, hey, let's see if I can find a way to link my Rebbe, my teacher, all the way to Moses. And what he did was he, uh, he found documentation, okay? documents, right? Printed works, verified works, documentation. Um, Rebbe Talmud, which means a teacher-student, right? From Moses to Joshua, from Joshua to, to, to Pinchas, etc. On and on and on and on and on and on. From 3,300 years ago to present day, till 2005. And without, without one broken, uh, bro- broken link, and four sources for each one of those, of those links. It's all documented, and many of them have actually, <laughs> actually have dates, like actual dates, when these people lived, when they died, where they lived. It's all documented. It's a great point. But yeah, we don't, ha- we don't have any breaks. We don't have, you know. Think about it. Think about, you know, just the fact how, how you know, we were always literate. We were always more, you know, like uh, cultured um, in times where 99.9% of society of society at large didn't know how to read, and 100% literacy uh, was uh, was in the Jewish uh, community, and we have all the documents and written books and everything. So uh, the point is like this: when we think about Shavuos, it's more than just the Torah; it's also the experience, because this experience is what separates our religion 
from every single other religion on the planet. When someone asks, when someone says, oh, why do you believe in JC? What do you say? Prove it. When, when, a, when a Muslim says, how come you don't believe in Allah? Run away as fast as you can. Right. Oh, you do believe in Allah. How do you believe in Muhammad? Right? Allah, the, the, word, the, the word Allah, like the, 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 the Muslim God is the same God as we have. Right? We just don't believe in the, the, uh, or the application, so to speak. The application, we're not so, we're not so into the application. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so, um, if you. I just want to share that. I was once uh, uh, officiating a, a duel in the uh, <laughs> 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 I was doing a, uh, how do you call it, an invocation with a, with a, uh, a priest. They wanted a Jew and a priest, a rabbi and a priest. And it's a good joke. I don't know if you're going to the bar. So we actually sit in Starbucks together. And, you know, before we actually did this event, we got together a couple of times to just coordinate what it was going to be like over a thousand people. There was a big event. So, you know, we got a chance to schmooze a little. So crazy. I asked him, I said, you know, tell me about your congregation. There were 12,000 members in his, in, his, in, his, uh, in his church. And I said to him, just have to hear it for a second. I said to him, you get a lot of questions. He says, no, 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 no. We don't get any questions. They also, I said, what do you mean? 